The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We are still just plugging through the Gospel of Luke, but we come to a really pivotal, pivotal narrative where Jesus looks at 12 men out of the many, many hundreds, if not thousands of followers that he has. And he goes, hey, I, I'm selecting you. I'm calling you out to be apostles, to be the 12 that will transform the world from the inside out. We've seen over the last several weeks how the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they have just been coming after Jesus time and time again after his followers saying, hey, you're not teaching them correctly. They're not living the right way. They're absolutely just so liberal in their interpretations of the Sabbath and the law. And today we, we kind of come over that hill, if you will, and we see Jesus picking his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples. We see a, a shift into him teaching more because he's got to start instilling in these apostles his teachings because an apostle, a disciple of Jesus, is someone who can do what Jesus does, teach what Jesus taught, and represent him in his absence. The plan was the same from day one. Jesus was going to come. He was going to live. He was going to do ministry for a set period of time. It ends up being about three years. And then he had to go to the cross. He had to die. And he had to be risen to life on the third day again. That's what makes the gospel true. So he's got a short period of time to instill in these apostles everything that he is, everything that he does, everything that he teaches so that they can represent him in his absence. It's a beautiful story. It's one that I'm excited to jump into. So we are in Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 12 through 16, but verse 12 shows the preparation that Jesus has before this monumentous event. He, he shows what he's choosing to do in preparation for choosing his 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside for the purpose of prayer. He spent the whole night praying to God. So he goes out during the day. He seeks isolation, time alone with the Lord. While that day comes to an end, he goes, I am still needing to prepare. I'm still needing more time with the Father. He prays through the entire night. He understood the magnitude of the decision he was going to make the next day, and he didn't want to mess it up. Instead of pulling aside groups of people and interviewing them or asking for resumes, who would be the best? He goes to the father and he says, I need you, dad. I need you to show me who you want, who you've called, who you've commissioned to be my apostles. I need you to show me. And he spends hours, hours bathing this decision in prayer. Now, I know this is just the preparation for it. It's not the whole point of this narrative. But I do want to pause and just ask the question, when is the last time you took a decision, a huge, 
big moment in your life and you laid it before the Lord, not just saying, hey, God, I need your help, but spending hours bathing that in prayer. When, when is the last time you said, God, I've got a choice to make and I want you to be the one driving the ship? When was the last time you did that? I, I know for me, it happens too infrequently. There's a lot of times I'll make large decisions for my family, for my life, and, and I won't really lay before the Lord at all. But I remember when I was 28 years old, not working at the church, I'd moved back to Norman to work at anymore, not knowing what God had in store for me, but knowing that Paige and I, no kids, recently married, knowing that the literally the world was our oyster. We could go do whatever we wanted to do. She had graduated PA school. We could move anywhere in the country. We could do whatever we wanted to do. The opportunities were limitless, but we wanted to know what God wanted for our lives. So we took three days. We fasted. We prayed. We journaled. And then we went on that third day. We retreated to kind of compare our notes. And, and here's what God said. Todd, you need to go do this. No, that's, that's not what he said. See, a lot of times we want God to give us the roadmap. We want him to say, hey, you go plant summit. There's going to be two campuses. You're gonna do now, that, that's not what God said. But when we compared our journals, when we compared what God was speaking to both of us, the, the answer was very, very clear. Hey, it's time for you to lead. And I'd been the teaching pastor at a large church. I had offers to go to much larger churches and do the same thing. A great job for a 28-year-old, young, young guy up on the stage, older senior pastor leading the church. Great, great thing. But I heard God say, and so did Paige, and we were able to affirm that with one another, it's time to lead. And that was huge because at 28, you don't think that's possible. In my mind at that time, I was like, well, uh, you need to be... 40 probably to, to lead a church. That, that's a good age. Now that I'm 40, I'm like, I don't, I'm just fatter. I don't know anymore. I'm not any smarter. But you just think 28 is too young, but, but God affirmed that. And so in us praying, in us laying this huge decision before God, he didn't tell us exactly what to do, but, but in his mercy and grace, he told us what not to do. And sometimes that's just as important. And I don't know about you, but God has oftentimes led and guided me by opening and closing doors. Hey, this is, don't even worry about this. This is a no. But this, this path is a yes. And there's many things on this path that you can do, but this is the yes. And that's what God did 12 years ago for Paige and I. And I, I remember that. And it makes me wonder why more often I do not spend a night, a day and a night, praying, asking God to give clear, guided direction to the things in my life. It's something I know I've been encouraged by with this. And after Jesus does this, he comes down and he gets to work. Let's look at the calling of the apostles, Luke chapter 6, verse 13. When morning came, he hadn't slept, he prayed all night. He comes down off the mountainside, okay, dreary-eyed, disciples waking up, but he has a purpose. He called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, a very specific number, very biblical number, 12 tribes of Israel, so on and so forth. He chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. Now, this is huge because 
If you allow us to fast forward, see, we have the rest of the story. If you allow us to fast forward, you will see that Jesus knew the men he was choosing on this day would radically transform the world. He didn't need a massive group of people. He needed a select few appointed by God, commissioned by God to fulfill his purpose on this earth. The stakes were so high. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, you see what transpires. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God and also members of his household. The house of God. Those who are in Christ are part of the house. This house, though, verse 20, was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself, of course, being the chief cornerstone of this house. We dwell in the house of God today because of these apostles, because of what happened on this morning after a night of prayer. The apostles' role in the starting of the church, the bringing together of the children of God, the adding in of the Gentiles, this is so huge. And Jesus knew it. And this moment was massive. The fact that Jesus designated them apostles, the Greek word has a few meanings, but the summation of all of the meanings is that an apostle is a messenger sent with a commission. Jesus picked 12 messengers and he commissioned them to say the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is Lord of all. He commissioned them to preach and to teach. He did this for a very specific reason, knowing that the world must hear the good news, the good news of Jesus. It's actually Mark who adds in one more little caveat. I don't know why Luke leaves this out, but in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, talking about the same occurrence, the same day, he says this, He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that, they, and that he might send them out to preach. That was their commission, to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But he also, he also gave them authority to drive out demons. So these 12 were not just chosen, they were appointed, commissioned, and then they were anointed. They were given authority, specifically authority to overcome evil. And if you think back weeks and weeks ago in our study of Luke, how did Jesus come into any town and begin to teach and preach? The first thing he did was stand up and heal the sick and cast out the demons. Entire towns would line the streets because they heard Jesus was here and he had the authority to do this. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you that same authority. I'm going to give you that same power and it's going to allow your mission to be so, so much easier. Now, we're going to read a list of names in Luke chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. It's a list of 12 names. This list is mentioned four times in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give this same list. Acts, also written by Luke, gives this same list. There's some similarities in how the list is laid out in all four of those. But this list of names, this, this amazing roster of the apostles, it, it's very simple to read through. But can you imagine 
Can you imagine that day out of the hundreds, if not thousands of people gathered as Jesus says, I'll take you and I'll take you and and you too. And now, if you've been tracking with us, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they've already been asked to follow Jesus, but this this is different. Now they're being designated as apostles. Okay, Matthew, we, we saw his calling, went to his house. He's being designated as an apostle. He's not just a follower anymore. He's an apostle. It's, it's big. And here we go, verses 14 through 16. Here's the names. Simon, whom he named Peter. I love it. Hey, Simon, I, I, I want you. Uh, you're, my, you're my guy. I'm going to change your name to Petros, the rock. I'm going to change it to that because I'm going to build my church on you. That, that's, that's the first one. His brother, Andrew. Then there was James and John, they they were brothers. There was Philip and Bartholomew. There was Matthew, the tax collector. There was Thomas. There's another James, but he was the son of Alphaeus. There's another Simon, but he was called the Zealot. Then there were two Judases. Oh, how unfortunate for Judas, son of James. (laughs) How unfortunate, because then there's Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor And every time in the New Testament that Judas Iscariot is referenced by name, that tag gets placed on there. The one who betrayed, the one who was a traitor to Jesus, the one who sold him out, the one who for 30 pieces of silver gave over the Son of God. So we see this list. Just some fun facts uh, about this list. There are a bunch of brothers on here. They're the ones that I've I've listed. But there's actually a few more that that you may not be aware of. The second James, Simon, and Judas, they were actually all three brothers. It's highly likely that many of these men were brothers relatives or family friends of Jesus. James and John in particular were probably cousins. And then we've got some others in there. There's many in this list who go by different names in other places in Scripture. Once again, this is just fun. So you have Simon and Peter. That gets confusing sometimes. You have Judas, not Iscariot. You have Judas, the son of James. He goes by a couple different names. Libius and Thaddeus, uh, both are used for him. And I've got to think that's because he wanted to change it up a little bit. You've got Bartholomew, who was most likely Nathaniel from John chapter 1. That was Philip's brother, but he's got two names there. And then there's a guy named Thomas, but he's referred to by his Greek name Didymus. Both Thomas and Didymus, just in two different languages, means twin. So obviously there's another brother here that didn't get called. That would probably hurt. And then you've got Judas Iscariot, the outsider, the only apostle not from Galilee and the one who's always referred to as the betrayer. Just a list of names, kind of fun to read and see. But the meat, the meat of what we see here is that on this day, these 12 men were commissioned with a purpose to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And they would be trained for another three years and they would be able to succeed in their mission because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit because of the authority that was given to them. We sit in 
church today or wherever you're watching as part of the church because of the foundation that they laid, because of how they were able to get the good news out. This is a special group of people. But I wonder, what do we do then today? What do we do with a message like this? Well, the first thing is, we can't be labeled apostles anymore. There's kind of a finite uh, rule that you have to have seen the resurrected Jesus to be an apostle. And, and there's some other ones p- primarily being called specifically by him. But, so we can't be apostles, but we can be commissioned as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's what God calls us to today. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, we are therefore, because of all that God's done, we are therefore ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the message. That is the language. That is the commission to go reconcile the world, the broken, fallen world, the world that we unfortunately live in that hurts sometimes. It's painful and trying But we are called as ambassadors of Christ. Those who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we are called to go into that world and to reconcile that world back to God. It's all his. He created it. He has a great purpose for it. Jesus was a huge piece of that, the apostles. And now you and I have been commissioned to make sure this message gets out, that God does not just look at this brokenness and go, ah, tough. He cares so much that he sent his son into this world so that he might reconcile this world, but he needs you and I to be those reconcilers. He needs you and I to be those ambassadors. That is now our commission. We're not apostles, but we are ambassadors. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 is this beautiful, beautiful verse that talks about how Jesus is God's apostle. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Let that sink in just for a moment. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Jesus was commissioned by God as an apostle to save us, to save us. And as I process through that. Now, Jesus called his 12 apostles. God sent Jesus as a commissioned laborer to give us the good news that God is for us and to be the validation of that message that he would sacrifice his only son for you. As I start to process through that, it makes me think, what do I need to do? How do I need to appropriately respond to this? And I've got some ideas just based on these few short verses, these, this huge story that can be summarized in such a, a few words, but I've got some ideas. Number one, I think we need to ask ourselves, as Jesus modeled prayer, what are we currently trying to walk through having not laid that before the Lord? 
And I know that's not the crux of this message, but I want you to wrestle with that just for a moment. What are you currently trying to walk through a decision that you might need to make that you need to spend some time on the mountain alone with God and ask him to open doors and close doors? Ask him to show you what, Lord, do you want from me? Is there anything going on in your life right now that you need to do that? And we would love as a church to come alongside you and be praying with you for that, for those decisions, for those obstacles, for those hardships, whatever it is, we would love to be praying for you because we believe that prayer unlocks the power of God. And we believe that when we lay our, pla- our path and our plan before God, he is faithful to come alongside us and straighten that path towards his will. Number two, do you, do you need to fix your eyes on Jesus today? Is that something that, that you need to do as the apostle, as the high priest, as the one who understands you, who's, who's able to empathize and sympathize with your needs? Do you need to fix your eyes on him primarily because you're so distracted by the craziness of this world? Do you need to pause today and acknowledge, acknowledge God's love for you that's shown in the form of Jesus? Do you need to do that? Or or has life just consumed you to the point where God has been relegated to this corner somewhere that you got him sitting safely that you can maybe call him in in the utmost of emergencies, but he's not a part of your daily focus? Do you need to do that? Jesus modeled that. He is our apostle. He is our high priest. I think we should learn from that. And if today you need to pause and fix your eyes on him, then I encourage you to do that. Finally, do you need to take the mission more seriously? Do you realize if you are in Christ today that you have been called, you have been called by him to be an ambassador for him? Do you need to take that mission more seriously, that proclamation to preach, not stand up in front of hundreds, but to make sure that those that you come into contact with know this simple truth. God is for you. God is for you. And because of that, I am for you. And from that simple language, the language we're trying to make sure our whole church adopts, you can begin to have gospel conversations with people. How do you know God is for me? Because he sent his son for you. His son who lived a life you can't live for yourself. He died and he rose again, validating everything that he taught, everything that he did. And in him, we have our hope. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to use broken vessels to fulfill his mission. And as one of those broken vessels, sometimes it can feel so overwhelming. But do you need to refocus? Do you need to realign? Do you need to realize that God has called you, he has commissioned you to be a proclaimer of his good news? And are you sharing that message that you are for people and that God is for people? Are you sharing that message on a regular basis? And if you're not, today, how can you look at your life and 
realign and refocus and make sure that that message is one that is not only spoken, but shown in and through your life. Jesus called 12 men, 11 of whom rocked it, one failed. But he called 12 men to change the world. And I just wonder what he can do with a church like us, with hundreds and hundreds of people. If we take seriously the commission, the call to proclaim that good news. I hope we do that because I wanna see this world transformed. I wanna see this world reconciled back to God. I want people to know that God is for them. Father, help us to do that. Help us to be focused on you, focused on the mission. Help us to be people of prayer that lay our lives, our paths before you. God, do so for your glory. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.